0: have to find a way, I think, to get joy out of real things and not the items you buy, but experiences you have or the people you have around you, etc.
1: You're listening to Good Is In The Details. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Dalski, and co-hosting with me is the very talented, very witty LA lawyer, Rudy Salo. And our discussion today is about finance. It's a new year. Let's sit down and take a look at how we're spending money. How are we saving money? Perhaps you're thinking about buying a home. Our guest today is longtime real estate investor and owner of Mark Bryan Realty, Mark Farley. He is going to give us some concrete advice on how to save money, on how to invest money, how to save for a home, what to look for. And we're also just going to be talking about money in general, that money in and of itself is a thing, but the expression of it, the way in which we use it or the way in which we save it is an expression of a value, figuring out what it is that we want out of life before we get started, I want to thank all the reviewers. If you haven't reviewed the show yet, or if you haven't rated it, please scroll down at the bottom of Apple Podcasts and give it that five-star review. And if you'd like to support the show, we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash good in the details. Okay, now let's talk Finance. I think something that we should definitely discuss is that you were, Rudy says that you were in a band together. So how was, I know how Rudy is as a podcast partner. Uh, How was he as a bandmate? I mean, was he any good? You can, it's just between us, Mark, Um, just between us and around 2000 downloads. Sure.
0: He's, uh, yeah, definitely. He's a good musician. Um, (laughs) I think he kind of wanted to be in the spotlight more than a bassist normally would.
1: Did he pitch himself as the funny one?
0: He did, yeah. He would uh, (laughs) tend to grab the microphone and do, you know, the famous story is him grabbing the microphone in my garage because I was the drummer, so we would always practice at my house because it was the hardest instrument to move. Uh And uh, Rudy would grab the microphone on any given occasion on like a Sunday afternoon with, you know, neighbors out in front of the yard and start telling dirty jokes, which would inevitably get my dad, who was very mild-mannered, Come on, come no, yeah, dirty,
2: yeah. dirty is dirty is subjective, but okay. Sorry, I don't. No, mean to I interrupt. You, all mean right, you be, this is so, the guy
1: who blushes during the discussions with the sex and relationship therapist. So okay, well, sign of
0: true immaturity. Well, the funny thing is, Rudy, really, maybe no one even was paying attention. Like, my dad wasn't paying attention to the content. He just didn't like the style of turning our garage into a nightclub.
2: Those were his exact and words. So. He, he literally said, hey, guys, this isn't a nightclub here. Yeah, and it yeah. had turned it into that. No, there were no dirty jokes. Mark likes to embellish. I, I one, <laughs> one of the greatest things about Mark is you will hear stories from him, but they get better and better the more times you hear them because there's a new element that comes in. Right. Pretty soon yeah. he's probably saying, I was doing Andrew Dice Clay impressions in his garage.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, 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 of course not. So, what was the
0: name of the band? Conniption, wasn't it, Rudy?
2: It was Conniption. Oh. Yeah, we okay. had two. We, we had two versions of it. We had one version when we were sophomores, and we played a couple of gigs that you were probably not at, Gwen. And then we played a whole. Then we reconnected in, in senior year in high school and got a new lead singer, the guy I grew up with, one of my best friends, and we played a whole bunch of shows. Which clearly, you and your introverted self never went out in high school because we were we were where, where the cool kids went was where Conniption played. Played. I'm sure. And if you go onto my Facebook page, I have a whole bunch of old band flyers from that era. Oh, from okay. like them from like the, like the mid 90s. It's actually pretty cool. Cool.
1: Well, Mark, we're gonna be talking, let's see, we're gonna be talking about real estate. Oh, right? Okay. Shoot. What are
0: we... Oh I didn't know that.
1: Didn't... <laughs> 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 we're gonna be in, uh, I think so you know that I, you know that I study philosophy. So this will be kind of interesting to see where could philosophy and real estate intersect. Yeah, could sure. they? Hey, just funny. a quick question: Did you ever take a philosophy class? Hmm. Can you name a philosopher? I, Plato. Oh, there we go. All right. Hey, that'll that'll do. Right, well, Better
2: than me. Better than me. I couldn't even really name. I couldn't even name Plato. So that's pretty good.
0: How about Rudy Sallow? That that's good? what I'm talking
2: about. I'm a modern day. Uh, Aristotle. Wait, what's that guy's name? What's that guy, whatever that guy's name. Aristotle. Yes. Yeah, that's the guy.
1: Well, I something that I'm interested in is. You know, As we're working through the show, the underscoring ideas behind people's professions, what could you tell us maybe, we'll go into some advice, but what do you see with a trend right now with real estate that is actually reflecting a cultural value? What is the connection? Because it seems like the way in which people buy, then it's actually, it can give us some idea of what we're valuing. What does the family look like? What does the homeowner look like? What do communities look like? What are some trends yeah. that you see?
0: Sure, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think you know Thank this year,
2: you. she loves that. The more you say that's a great question, <laughs> the the happier Gwen and, and, <laughs> and just wanted to give you a heads up because this is your first time on the show. But please go ahead.
0: No, no, I mean it's an, it's an insightful question because it's it's different than the type of questions I get asked a lot about where should I put my money, etc. Yeah, I mean it's something we should think about. I would say this year given COVID and everything, people sort of are redirecting and rethinking about what's important. And I think what I see as an absolute shift in the way, let's say, starter sort of families are shopping is for more space. They're definitely looking in outlying areas. There's So rather than be like I work in, in San Diego, and I'm specifically in North County, San Diego, which is would be considered suburbia. And I'm seeing people who are not so interested in paying higher prices is to be freeway close to get to their jobs as much as they're looking to spend the same amount of money to get more space They don't really care about being further from the freeway because they're now kind of looking at, hey, maybe I'm not going to have to go to work every day. I'm only going to be going to work once or twice a week at most. And I want to spend more time at home or I am spending more time at home. And it's not necessarily even that their employers are saying this is the way it's going to be. It's people telling me that they're telling their employers this is the way it's going to be. Kind of opportunistic because they now have gumption or whatever, if that's a funny word to use to say look i've shown you that i don't need to be in the office every day and i think you know i've talked about it with several friends probably working from home exclusively actually doesn't work either because there needs to be collaboration there needs to be that sort of spark and innovation that comes when people are together it's hard to do even with zoom right there's always these distractions you know you just you get that banter um, back and forth by being you know, in an office that does spark creativity. So I think getting back to your question, there's definitely a trend to be more at home, obviously, and be in a space that you're more comfortable with. And people nowadays are asking for two home offices Mm -hmm. and more yard space. You know, it's sort of funny. We go out shopping with buyers and I make the joke now that almost anyone just walk, everyone walks through the house and straight out into the backyard and starts looking around. It's the way people are shopping now. We spend more than half of the time on any given home tour in the backyard. People are overpaying for price homes with backyards. People are paying exorbitant prices. You know, we used to joke in the real estate business that, or not joke, but it was an obvious fact that there was enough people looking for pools at the same number of people that were looking for pools were the same number of people that didn't want a pool, didn't want the maintenance. So it was sort of a net zero gain. If you had a pool, it didn't really add value. It didn't attract value. Now it's like almost a joke. If you have a pool in your home and you're selling the house, it's like name your own price. I mean, people with pools that aren't even that nice are just getting multiple offers and all kinds of excitement that they wouldn't otherwise have. And I think it's related to the outdoor space and being able to want to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, it seems like the home would have infinitely more it, like it's almost like your little village because now that we're all at home, I would imagine that everybody is looking at their home differently or maybe it even has to do with home improvements or moving or where do I have to live? Rudy in our first episode with Liz Farmer, I'd said I'm wondering if the home space is going to change that now when people are shopping for a home, you know, the realtor will say, here's the bedroom, here's the, you know, the master bath, and here's the home office. And now that's part and parcel of what it means to be at home.
2: Actually, on that episode, I think I mentioned either Mark's name or that I have a very close friend that is in the real estate business. And I mentioned that some recent laws had passed. I think you said former
1: bandmate.
2: (laughs) I I, former bandmate. (laughs) I mean, Mark and I go back a really, really long time. He's one of my closest and dearest friends. That some laws had just come into place over the last several years here in California to add an ADU, which is an accessory dwelling unit, i.e., the granny unit above the garage. And then also starting in January 1st, 2020, a junior ADU, which, you know, you could create another office type space. So it's like the laws are in place there for you for for existing homes to be expanded and redone to allow for, you know, the home is going to be the office. Uh, it is now for the foreseeable future for COVID purposes. And there are numerous companies out there that said, look, even after COVID, you can work from home. There's a lot of investment banks. There's a lot of the technology companies, whatever. I'd like to go back to Mark. You've been working from home longer than any of the friends that I have. Now I know in your in your prior job before you became like you know full time in real estate, uh, you were an, you were an engineer. And you used to travel a lot to China throughout the entire country, but your home base was literally your home. So when yeah. you say, when you say you do need to go into an office, you do need to get together with people, there is some innovation that is sparked with face-to-face. You're talking from experience. Could you talk a little bit about that and just kind of, you yeah. know, just tease that out a little?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I used to joke with people when they said, oh, you work from home, that must be nice, you know? And I said, no, it's, it's actually more like living at your office. I mean, it's actually, when you don't do it, it sounds romantic to not have to get in a car and not have to commute. You know, you sort of work in your pajamas and all of that. But the reality of it is, is that there is no separation from being home and working. You know, your phone, and as you touched on, Rudy, I worked for a company where we had a global business with every time zone. And so you know, you're sort of always on, you know, you're sitting down watching TV in the evening, and you're getting emails from China, because they're just starting their day. And it's sort of old, you know, for me, and having worked from home and remotely for so long, that collaboration piece, for me, it, it hits more at home, not necessarily with collaborating with coworkers, But as you mentioned, I traveled a lot in the sales business. In fact, I was just talking with an ex colleague, and we were talking about how, you know, this travel ban now with COVID, and how are you doing in sales, you know, you can do these Zoom calls and you can meet with customers via phone and, and on FaceTime or or Zoom, et cetera. And are you as effective? And, you know, my response has been, I don't think you can be as effective because, you know, you can get to the heart of the topic right away, right? You know, here's what I'm selling, here's what you want. But there's so much that happens in the walk from the lobby to the conference room where, hey, how are the kids? Hey, what's, you know, what, what have you been doing? Man, and, you know, sure for this California boy to be driving across Ohio in the snow, you know, is a you know, you just get that kind of interpersonal relationship, buyers and sellers, that has huge value. And none of that happens when you're isolated in your office. You know, you get on the phone and you can be very efficient at getting down to business, but the backstory collaboration doesn't happen that often, right? You're you're in a Zoom meeting with 15 other people and everybody's sort of on their best behavior and talking about work and not talking about the other parts of your life that are important and help develop those relationships that ultimately lead to trust, which usually leads to good
2: business. And hearing exactly, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, that happens in the legal world with clients. I mean, because we're, at the end of the day, as lawyers, we we sell too. We sell our services. So taking your deep long experience how do you think that bodes well for the future of cities still being the center of workforces do you see the death of the city that many people that that do real estate in the suburbs that do live in the suburbs do you just think well, that that's crazy that's just wrong the cities are not going to die they might get whittled down they might you know the way we work maybe only people go in a couple of days a week maybe commercial real estate spaces become smaller in cities and there's repurposing of that but the death of the city is an exaggeration i'm curious as to your thoughts yeah, I mean-
0: mean, I tend to not think in extremes, you know, I I tend to not think that you know, either a city is going to boom and nonstop appreciation, nor do I think there's going to be a collapse. I think there's going to be a lasting change in people's priorities. I hope so. I mean, I think that's probably a healthy thing. You know, I think think some of the bigger cities, yeah, probably will be somewhat lasting. I think there's not going to be an urge to, you know, take, for example, San Francisco. I'm cautiously watching the Bay Area real estate market, as you probably know, too. And, you know, I wonder, are people going to be willing to pay the price to live there? It's not even necessarily the density that I think is scary. It's just sort of the combination of everything. Like the benefit of having all the cool things to do is definitely going to be there. And I think that's going to always be a draw. But at what price can I have a similar, you know, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm obviously a, an advocate for San Diego. And I look at the cost-benefit ratio to live in San Diego and, and work maybe semi-remotely and have the lifestyle benefit of an area like San Diego that for people in other parts of the country would seem outrageously expensive, but from people in other parts of the state might seem like a bargain. So, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, no, I don't think it's the death of cities in general. I think it's definitely a short-term, you know, I'd like to call it an opportunity maybe, but th- there's a short-term realignment of where people are wanting to live right now. But long-term, I, I'm not predicting the death of cities, no. I
1: wanted to ask, since I have a lot of university students who listen to this and I think there might feel like almost a hopelessness when it comes to something like home ownership. So I'm wondering a couple of things. If you can give advice for somebody who is 20 that home ownership is something that is possible and what is a simple step to even get started so that they can start seeing that as a possibility because that seems like it could be so far away. And I know I've told my students, especially... I. I target my female students mostly that with the world of social media, with this pressure to buy things that actually don't have any value, that won't give you any kind of power, you know, like spend two grand on a purse. And I say, put that two grand towards something else that women in particular lose their power because they buy into this idea that if they are fixing themselves, themselves as the investment, as opposed to something like real estate or stocks or um, a retirement that, that is actually what will get them ahead. But for anyone who's, you know, 2021 20, and it just seems like it's such a faraway possibility, what is a concrete step to make that possible a reality?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, you sort of stole what I was going to say. And there was a, a lot of great things in that question itself. Thank to, you. To ponder. <laughs> and, nice
2: one, Mark. Nice one.
0: Sure. Yeah, I just had to throw that in. No, I mean it. I mean, like, <laughs> The number one piece of advice that I would give anyone is is stop wasting money on silly things. That's kind of the, the beginning of getting into a home is, you know, don't reprioritize freedom or reprioritize. I don't, I don't know. I mean, just,
2: is another way to say, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. Obviously, a $2,000 purse, that's material, but it can't just be those big ticket items. Like it, it's got to be the smaller things as well. Right? Yeah, make, I mean, make your own I'm coffee. Looking, don't go to Starbucks. All, yeah, all the things that you hear all, from everybody. All
0: the things. I and mean, it's like. You know, it's easy to say, well, you know, this, these, you know, I think about all the subscription memberships people have nowadays. And, you know, even like, you know, it's ridiculous to talk to the college kids about, you know, Rudy, when, when we were young, right, we didn't have cell phone bills, you know, now it's one of the biggest bills you have is your cell phone bill. But but even like, you know, your music subscriptions, your, you know, your your app subscriptions, all these things that add up. And a lot of real estate people and a lot of say financial advisors talk about, you know, the cost of coffee, etc. But, you know, it's kind of true. You know, I I have a coffee machine, I grind my own beans, you know, because I'm not paying for coffee, I even joke about, you know, where are the places which banks give away free coffee, because I'm not going to i gotta
2: go in and pay for coffee but something that you need to know about mark gwen is he has always taken a fantastic approach to money in fact i've tried to learn from him in a lot of ways uh uh, no it's true ever ever since high school you know rather than rather than paying somebody to to put in a sliding glass door on your truck you did it yourself like you you've always taken the approach of well where can I cut a couple of corners here and do it on my own not cutting corners like you, you do, you've always done a great job but you, you always take the approach of why should i pay somebody else when i have right now i have the time to do it And so in a lot of ways students can kind of take that approach as well something that i would recommend and this just piggybacks exactly on what mark is saying compared to well, when when he and I were younger, I mean Gwen, you know, you being in, in your early twenties so then, so much younger. But the subscription point is a very good one. Every year around December, between like the week between Christmas and New Year, I do an audit of okay. I go check my credit card bills. Okay, what subscription service did I sign up for this time? Okay, Microsoft Word 365, Adobe Create. Am I really using those? How much is that costing? So I get like a full audit of any subscription that I have. And I try to see, am I actually using this right now? If I'm not, let me cancel it. Do I plan on actually using this in the future? Is my family using this? You know, for a great example is Apple Music. Are we actually downloading songs and saving money by paying $50? bucks a month for the entire family rather than downloading albums turn out yeah we are with small children and 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 they hear this song and that song it's much better to have the apple music subscription than anything else but taking the time to do an audit of that stuff is the first step now but here gwen's students presume let's just presume they're in california mark okay they're looking at the astronomical prices of real estate and as you know and you've written about on your excellent blog prices in california are were skyrocketing rocketing, were unaffordable, and now they're becoming more unaffordable. Some of these students are going to look at the cost of these homes and go, there is no way I can ever afford that. I'm just not going to bother with it. I'm going to rent forever. Now, the approach that I would take there is Well, you start small, right? You start with a one bedroom or you start with a two bedroom and you buy it and you rent out one of the rooms to one of your buddies. And then, you know, obviously the capital gains um, on that underlying apartment, you sell it within, you know, you live in it in two years and you sell it within the five years. You can take the profits from that and transfer it into a new place. And that's how you do it. I'm just curious about like how small have you helped some of your customers and, and people you know starting out it's tough
0: to look at what you know especially when you look at what has happened in the last year right in, in areas that I'm shopping with buyers for down here you know up 10 12 percent in the last year and 10 12 percent on a million dollars is a lot of money and so it just sort of continues to go up and scare people and people start to think about is there going to be an opportunity for a discount in the future et cetera. I think in the real estate estate business, realtors are tempted to always act like it's a good time to buy. It's always a good time to buy, you know, buy, buy, buy. And, you know, and and historically, you know, over 10 year periods it is, but also looking back historically, you can pick plenty of times when it's been a horrible time to buy. In 2005, everyone thought it was a great time to buy, but now looking back on it, anyone who bought them probably wish they would have waited a couple of years until the crash. But I look at my own, when I try to advise clients on first-time clients, especially that are daunted by the price of homes, especially in California, you know, I call myself a real estate investor now, you know, I have a couple of rental properties and it's all, I started small, right? I mean, I started about my first house that was outrageously expensive, 400 and something thousand. And everyone thought I was crazy, right? Why would you buy such a house? Like, obviously. Oh, Obviously, it can't even keep up with it's going to crash, you know, and just little by little, it grew, you know, turned it into a, a rental and then saved a little bit more money here and there. And, and none of it was like I had this windfall. It was just sort of saving. And then I think the important thing to really differentiate real estate from, you know, not only purses, but even stocks is. The government banks give you like a five times or sometimes even a 10 times multiple on your money through loans that really should be paid attention to and shouldn't just be like, well, you know, I don't want loans because that's debt. But I mean, this is something that I've written about that I think tends to get the most controversy is. I'm an advocate of leverage, and an advocate of borrow, 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 because you can borrow money now lower than the rate of inflation. I mean, it's sort of outrageous. And this, this age-old idea that you should have this vision and dream of, of owning your home outright and paying off your mortgage, is like the rules have changed, unfortunately. Definitely, unfortunately, for the boomer generation, it doesn't benefit you to save anymore. It doesn't benefit you to pay off your house anymore. The best thing you can do, assuming that you're going to be prudent with your money and not go out and buy $2,000 purses, is leverage that $2,000 and some other money that you can save and get a bank to loan you the vast majority. Of the money that it takes to buy your primary residence or additional real estate investments, and that's how you know that's how you kind of build the foundation over time.
1: I think that's so interesting. I read that that latest blog that you had about leverage and that this idea of paying everything off and you know paying off so you own your home outright—that that's not really the way that you should be looking at it. And I think that even that could change somebody's mind or maybe enhance somebody's idea when they are getting a home that they understand that what they're buying is a future leverage. So that instead of looking at the price of the home and thinking, I'm stuck with this for 30 years, actually look at it as the possibilities of what that investment can get them in the future.
0: I think the simplest way to look at it, you know, is like you buy a million dollar house you put 20% down, or you put 10% down, or 5% down, and the rest of it is the loan, right? So either you're taking a $900,000 loan, but if historically proven returns continue and you get that 5% average a year, you're making that on the million. You're not making that on your investment. So the whole principle of leverage is you're getting a multiple return on your investment. Now, of course, you're paying for the cost of borrowing that that money, and oftentimes, you know, I've heard. Naysayers say, "Well, if property doesn't depreciate by at least my interest that I'm paying, then why would I buy real estate? Why don't I, why wouldn't I just rent?" Well, yeah, but what about the cost? You know, you have to pay to rent too, right? So you have to deduct your cost of you, know, you sort of think of it as renting the home from yourself. You need to pay rent somewhere, so it's not exactly a, a perfect analogy.
1: I'm curious, somebody who's in real estate, what do you think of when you hear discussions about California or about the country when you hear housing crisis? What is your point of view on that? Because to me, that's also demonstrative of how housing or who has a home or where it's located and property values is, it's not just about the house. It's not just about money. It's actually indicative of an entire sociological structure. So you in real estate, what do you think of when you hear housing crisis?
0: Well, I mean, I, I I think it's real. I mean, I think there's definitely this unaffordability for so many people to get started in housing because there tends to be, especially in some of the coastal areas of California, this reluctance to, you know, they say to change the landscape. It's like, well, by change the landscape, you mean build housing, build more housing and, you know, supply and demand. If you don't build more housing, there's going to be a housing shortage. And Ultimately, that will lead to a housing crisis. And when there's less homes available, the prices will continue to go up and that gap between affordable housing or the lack of housing and the price of housing will very much be in line with each other. You know, I've worked quite a bit over the last couple of years to become educated on some of the housing crisis issues and get involved in, in some of them and look for opportunities and projects in some of these coastal areas that could benefit. And there's, you know, there's leadership that wants to increase housing, affordable housing in some of these cities and areas. But there's a lot of reluctance. I had a project where we hit some struggles where the best advice we got was the residents know they're going to lose, but they know it's going to take three to five years to lose. But they're still going to fight you because they don't want to change the landscape. I often would say, well, you know, where, do you want your kids to be able to move back here? Like, do you want it to be so exclusive that your family can? Afford to buy a house. There are no houses available. There are no starter homes. There are no apartments. There are no, um, you know, there's only these mansions or these, una- you know, not even mansions, but just unaffordable homes where people that are working in the uh, restaurants and the uh, hotels or whatever the infrastructure of your community can't afford to live there. And then on a whole other show, we could talk about the transportation crisis that comes from the housing crisis.
2: Oh yeah, I don't even, I was, I mean, uh, you know me, Mark, you, you've read my Forbes pieces and you know that I used to be the biggest, you know, transportation junkie on earth. And then obviously COVID came around and my OCD-ness has trumped my transportation focus. But once I get vaccinated, I will shift back over to <laughs> being, you know, hardcore transportation. But I know down in San Diego, just because I do a lot of work with the government agencies down there, there has been a little bit more of a focus on. On transit-oriented development. In COVID, with the skyrocketing prices of real estate, what, very hard question to answer, but what do you think is the future of transit-oriented development today? Do you think it's dead, on hold, or do you think yeah. it's still the future?
0: No, I think it's still the future. I think these projects take so much time, right? And so well, the sort of microscope, or not a microscope, but, but um, the little ups and downs of today that seem monumental, I don't think have a lasting impact on legislation or on the decisions of the people in power. And uh, even the community wants and desires, I think, don't change that drastically because they can't really change that drastically anyway. Decisions like that on major infrastructure housing projects or transit-oriented housing, well, maybe you won't get your permit issued this quarter or for the next year just because things are shut down or people are refocused and reprioritized in the short term. I don't think that's, again, going to have a lasting impact on your project will never get done because of COVID. You have a much bigger challenge that your project will never get done because of the community reluctance to allow your project to get done, that hasn't changed at all. That's been there and that will be there. That's just a major hurdle that, You know, as you know, we've talked about the state is trying to take that control away from local governments in order to make that stuff happen with or without local approval, which is a whole nother controversial issue.
2: Yeah, that gets into the whole local control aspect of California, which our other good friend who works for the League of California Cities will will tell you all about that. Uh, I guess I just wonder... These communities that are against, you know, transit-oriented development, i.e., building affordable units above train stops or anything, have you been hearing those communities use COVID like, "Hey, we don't want density. Density brings about, you know, the spreading of disease. Forget this. This is terrible for." Are they using that to their advantage? Are you hearing any of that? I,
0: I'm not hearing it, but you know, I'm also one who would say that there are many people and all levels of power that are using COVID to their advantage on the small scale and on the large scale, right? There's people that have wanted to convince their spouses to leave California for 10 years. And now that COVID has allowed schooling from home and a fear of density and et cetera, et cetera, hey, maybe now's a good time. Now that's, that's not because of covid that's utilizing this covid crisis that we're in to get what they've wanted and i think you know it's, it can be seen at all levels of power i think we all know that you know we're also suspicious of our government always and i think there's a certain amount of healthiness to that and there's a certain Amount of unhealthiness, too much of that. But I think, yeah, you know, this is the part of working from home. This is that was not
2: scripted. But that is that is precisely Mother. what happens. But- we often have children appear <laughs> on, uh, on on the podcast. Uh, we do. They're a part of it. I mean, it's just it's it's a good part of it. It was good to see.
0: Yeah. Them. So for for those of you on the podcast. My kids just came in to pick up something out of the printer. That
1: uh, <laughs> let's get to some, some tips from people when they're looking for a home, what are some things that they should keep in mind? And can we do any myth busting?
0: I think we've touched on some of the myths. I, I think I talked about how it's always a good time to buy. I think, I think that's, that's a myth, but at the same time, there's a level of security that, people just want. I oftentimes work with buyers who say they're just tired of their landlord raising their rent every month. They love their place, but they're mm-hmm. just tired of and not being in control because the last home they lived in, they thought they were going to be there for two or three years. And after the first year, the landlord decided to sell the place and they had to get out of it, you know. And, but I think it's also sort of a myth that everyone needs to own a home. It's not necessarily for everybody. Um, it's not without its downsides. I would say there are people that chose, you know, we talked about some of the housing lines over the last decades, and there are people who were sh- so glad to be renters during that time and maybe came out financially ahead, but, you know, there's also the peace of mind. Can you talk about some of the boomers that are downsizing and changing their housing needs and wants right now? And there's a lot of benefit to saying, you know, let it be somebody else's problem if there's maintenance issues or there's major repairs that are needed. You know, I just want to pay my rent and I want to go enjoy life. That's a reality, both financially and from a lifestyle perspective. I I have a really hard time when I'm helping my clients to try to take my own investor brain out of the equation and remember that these are people's homes and that there's this major component called lifestyle that, you know, should play a role. It's not just about the investment of your home. It's about the joy that it brings being in a home and whether that's a home you own or a home you rent. I think it's somewhat of a myth that everyone should own a home. Some people can't afford it and it's a burden that will sort of, I don't want to use a dramatic word like crush, but, you know, emotionally it'll be tough. And then there's other and I think a lot of it comes back to just don't don't spend money on foolish things. Mm-hmm. You know, try to put um, an emphasis on real joy, not temporary joy. And if home ownership fits into that joy, then by all means, you know, do what you can to take that first step to buy something.
1: You say silly things, but I think of the pressures right now, especially with social media, is what somebody should ask themselves, or you know, like who are they buying this for? Are they trying to project some sort of an image that, like you said, doesn't really bring any kind of authentic joy, but it's just something that is trying to give the perception that there's a particular lifestyle and there's just something unreal about it. And there's a lot of money that's put into, you know, making people buy things that doesn't give them any kind of freedom or any kind of power.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, it could be unending, right? I mean, it could be, you know, when I always joke, like, you know, we need a bigger house. Well, then you need a bigger house and then you need a bigger boat and then you need a bigger plane. You know, if you, if you strive to have these things, and whether they're things to make you look better or whatever, there's always going to be more, right? I mean, we yeah. sort of we love to live in this consumer culture. Whatever you have is not enough. Keep buying. So you, you have to find a way, I think, to get joy out of real things and not the items you buy, but, you know, but the experiences you have or the people you have around you etc
1: yeah the kind of stuff that if you did lose everything like every material thing then you would still feel like you had something but if you invest everything into your material wealth and then you know if there's a fire and you lose everything then you're just you're in a lot of trouble
0: <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I don't i don't i mean i'm a firm believer that Things can't ultimately bring you happiness, you know, it's, you have to find a way to get happiness elsewhere. And, you know, I'm also grounded enough to say, you know, the old adage, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, but it probably doesn't buy too much sadness either. You know, like it's, it just depends on your perspective. It's easy to say money doesn't buy happiness, but it's also, it's also a reality that there's some peace and security comes from not having to worry about how you pay your bills. I think it's kind of a balance.
1: I think they've done a study where there is actually a threshold of where money would buy you happiness, but you have yeah. to be in in an impoverished state. But then I don't remember what the threshold is, but it there is was, a certain amount that's seventy
2: thousand. Oh, okay, yeah. It's, if you're earning but then seventy thousand dollars at that point. I mean, according to this study. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that that's great. It's like that that minimum because at seventy, you're able to afford not just the bare minimums, but yeah. you're able to afford like, you know some niceties a a, a, a nice yeah, yeah, roof yeah. over your head yeah. and health insurance and everything i get happiness from doing podcasts and providing advice out there to, and and talking with friends i mean that's where the, that's where my happiness comes from and i mean that like yeah I don't know what the dollar threshold is. Lord, I don't even know if I'll ever meet a dollar threshold. To me, happiness, and it's not in a home. I mean, there've been plenty of homes that I wish I still owned and other homes that I wish I didn't own or other homes that I was in. It really does come down to security. What's your bare yeah. minimum level of security and comfort that you need and what on a day-to-day basis is going to Truly bring happiness for me. That's helping people. I mean, that's just yeah. that's just the way it is. A home will never be able to fill in that gap that mm-hmm. I feel when I'm not helping people. I'm hoping people out there are thinking, "Oh, I'm unhappy if I buy a house, it'll complete my happiness." It won't. It just won't.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think what Mark says experiences because I know for me that's it. It's the kind of thing that nobody could ever take from you. That that's really where joy is, and so for me. Like traveling gives me so much joy and nobody could ever take those experiences from me. They can, you know, take everything from my home, but they can never take that from me. Yeah. And the podcasting is a joy, all that stuff. But I think that, and that's also a good, a good point is if I have this, then I'll be happy. Then I'll need this and then I'll be happy. And like Mark said, then it always has to be bigger and bigger, but it has to be where you just tap into what you really want. The way one spends money reflects that. I've told my students that imagine if I gave you a chest full of money, um, if you think money is happiness, so let's just say this is a giant chest full of money, and I give it to you, but I say, but here's the thing, you can never open that chest, you can never spend it, so are you happy? So money is really only good insofar as what it is for, but in and of itself... It's not something that'll ever ever make you happy because you can tell by that thought experiment you would not be happy with a giant chest full of money that you could never ever right. open. Yeah. Well, this was lovely, Mark. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I'm really uh, pleased to have the opportunity
2: to chat with you. And- Mark, you know, is there? I just got to ask, man, is there any of our recordings saved anywhere, any videos, anything? Because it would be great if we can just play a conniption song in this podcast as we're like kind of zoning out. Do you have anything? I have to go back and
0: I have to go back. And look. I mean, obviously, you're not putting me on the spot now because we're going to just edit this all together. But... <laughs>
2: right, right. We're going to edit, we're gonna edit I mean, this all and together. If, and of
0: course, if I could have just brought up a video clip right now, it would have been so scripted that uh, nobody would have believed it anyway. But um no, I'll have to look. I don't. I don't know. Oh, if you I mean, do
1: have, if you do have any music, yeah, then I'll use that to play it out. That would be cool. The
0: best chance I think was like our talent show. Remember,
2: we did the talent show. At, I did. At, I do remember school school that. Oh God! I do. I, I, I wonder, played in three but, bands that night. Yeah. Uh, but it, <laughs> see what you can find, and and uh, it'd be great to kind of go out. Oh, with
0: why that. me? Why, what, what are the
2: odds? Because <laughs> I, I know I don't have it. Oh, I know left. I've already you've looked. looked yeah, I've looked into my. my parents moved Shoot. out of their house, and I tried to find stuff, and I couldn't find anything. Damn. I'll see. Okay. Thank
1: you so much.
0: Thank you,
2: Brian. Have a Thanks good day. Good talking right. to you. is am